Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is the four-time Judo Olympian himself, Daniel Kelly. Dan, welcome to Half the Battle, man. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So, man, you just pulled off the big upset. You went in there against the Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. I mean, first of all, how good did it feel to get your arm raised at home? Oh, it was awesome. It was almost as good as Melbourne. Melbourne was massive because that's my hometown in uh, November last year. But I was a really big underdog. No one gave me a snowflakes chance in hell of uh, beating Antonio Carlos Jr. So it was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, did you and your friends uh, put down a little money on yourself? Because, I mean, those odds were ridiculous, Dan. Yeah, I heard after a lot of people saying, oh, thank you, thank you for winning, you made me a lot of money. So, so it, was, it was good for those guys. Yeah, everyone that bet on Dan Kelly was super sharp. But, man, I got to ask you about the fight itself because, you know, like we mentioned, he is a jiu-jitsu world champion. In the first round, he took you down. He had the body triangle. That's exactly where he wanted to be. You know, he was trying to go for that uh, Mata Leon rear naked choke. You fought the hands very well. Firstly, I mean, how much did it affect your breathing when he had you in that body triangle? It wasn't super tight. I think it was the angle I had my hips on. Um, I think it tired him out a little bit more than it tired me out. And the, the good thing is, with the body triangle locked, he... Um, he he can't he can't do anything else other than the choke. So as soon as the body triangle unlocks, then he's got more options. But I've got more of a chance to scramble as well. Absolutely, and your defense is very on point because you know he tried a couple times to you know flatten you out on your stomach so he could potentially land some ground and pound or choke you out. You didn't let that happen at all. I mean, you kept uh, turning towards the side where the triangle was because, I mean, that alleviates the pressure. So, I mean, was it just a matter of uh, waiting it out till the next round or was he not doing his technique properly? Uh, a, a little bit of both. Once we got two minutes into the round and he wasn't really letting go and he was just hitting a little bit and going for the choke, I was like, I'm going to have to wait it out here. I'm not going to be able to unlock the triangle because if I did, that opens me up as well. And my jiu-jitsu coach was talking to me the whole time as well. And I went, I'm just going to have to accept that this round's a write-off and get ready for the second round. Absolutely. And, I mean, did those punches hurt at all when he had your back and, you know, he was trying to soften you up so you could put that rear naked choke in? No, not really. Not really. I don't, I don't think he was trying to load up. They were more of an annoyance to try and take my mind off his uh, setting up for the choke. Yeah, so then the second round starts, and, you know, he shoots for a takedown, you stuff it. Right then and there, could you see a, a difference in maybe his facial expression or his energy? Could you tell that maybe he was starting to break a little bit when you stuffed that takedown in the second round? Yeah, absolutely. I thought if I could keep it standing and, and pile pressure on him, everyone said beforehand how, how he'd probably come over the top of me cardio-wise. I, I didn't think that was ever going to be the case at all. I knew the longer the fight went, the more chance I had of winning. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what happened. Third round comes out, and I believe uh, you kicked him in the face, and, and then you sh you forced him to shoot for a desperate takedown, and you did your thing from there. Is that how it went down for you? That's how it went down from us, you know, sitting on the couch. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went for a, a pickup, Tegaruma, judo pickup, and um, didn't quite nail it how I wanted to, and as he came up, uh, I flicked my leg up, and I, I knew it had hurt him. His eyes were rolling a little bit. There was a cut across the top of his nose. And then once he shot, and it was an average shot, I thought, oh, this is my chance to, to really, really uh, possibly ground the fight out or pound the fight out. And I, and I did. It was great. Yeah. That's the first one by ground and pound, too. 
It was absolutely unbelievable. Everyone at my house was going crazy. But before we talk about the finish, man, in that second round, there was one little time where, you know, you, uh, it almost like you had a, a half Nelson and you're punching him with some uppercuts. And uh, at that moment, it was almost like, dude, Dan Kelly's about to take this fight. So in that specific moment where you're like, I'm beating this dude's ass. Yeah, I felt much better in the second round. And he, was, he wasn't enjoying me closing the gap on him. I mean, I know my stand-up's not that pretty, but the way he was fighting that and backing off, I could tell he wasn't enjoying the stand-up exchanges that much. So it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was good. I could, I could definitely feel, as soon as I stayed on my feet, I could feel uh, you know, the momentum moving towards me a little bit more. So the, the momentum shifts in your favor, and then the third round, you're uh, pounding him out for the finish. I mean, first of all, when you're pounding a guy out like that, I mean, is it a matter of him like deciding that he doesn't want to fight anymore? Is it a matter of you taking him out of consciousness? What exactly happened in that third round when you TKO'd him? So um, when he shot, I was hitting him really hard with my left hand, and then he rolled onto his side and just covered up, but he was just laying there, and I could hear him making the moaning noises underneath and the referee was the referee asked him about three or four times to fight back and he and he didn't do anything he just laid there with his hand up so i think he was i think he'd had enough by then so yeah it was a it was just a matter of keep punching until the referee pulls you off and that's that's about it yeah absolutely you know after the fact i uh tweeted at dana white i was like you have to give dan kelly a performance of the night bonus for that now obviously you didn't get the performance of the night but it was such a great performance that it's one of those situations where you know the ufc is known for sending guys little gifts you know three or four weeks after the fight so you know in about three or four weeks from now dan let me know if you got a little something in the mail because i fully <laughs> expect you to my friend no, hopefully too. I'll, I'll let you know. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I thought I was close this time, but you know, there was an, a, a few other good performances on that fight card. So you know, you, all I really expect is get my, uh, my, my uh, show money and win money, and anything outside of that is as it's meant to be a bonus. Yeah, your buddy uh, Jake Matthews had to take away that fight of the night from you, huh? <laughs> yeah, he had a good fight too, really good fight. Yeah, it was incredible, man. So, I mean, we got a lot to talk about in this show. You know, obviously you are a four-time judo Olympian, but also you're four and one in the UFC. You're a winner in every sense of the word. And people, you know, you've been an underdog in every single one of your UFC fights. You know, I honestly hope they keep making you the underdog. You know, maybe we'll uh, go invest in a house or something like that. But, uh, you know, for you, do you feel disrespected? Do you feel motivated? How does it feel to be counted out like that every single fight? Uh, motivating. I mean, it's... it's you put yourself in a public light, everyone's going to have their opinions on you. And me being the underdog every time is, is massive motivation for me. I've been doing it my whole sporting career, so I don't mind at all. Yeah, for sure. And you make your UFC debut against Luke Zakarich. And man, you know, a lot of people that watch this sport, they, you know, they notice when you drop someone, they notice when you finish someone, but they don't notice the little nuances that are going on as the fight takes place. And there are a couple techniques you use in that fight that I love, man. You'd, uh, you'd grab his wrist and then you'd throw that straight left down the pipe. You'd, uh, that hand fighting, that hand trapping. I love that stuff. You know, wh where'd you learn how to do that, man? I think that's, um, I think a lot of that comes from, uh, judo grip fighting because you're always trying to grab jackets and sleeves. And also, it helps me gauge range, because I came to striking late. If I've got one hand on them, by rights, it means I can hit them with the other hand. So so I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, pinning them that way, because it, 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 uh, it changes their footwork a little bit as well, because I can't dance in and out so much, because I've got hold of one of their hands. So especially orthodox against southpaw, I, I really enjoy that 
that kind of hand fighting stuff. Absolutely. Now, is that a technique that you recommend using in the center of the cage, or do you use it when you got the guy up against the fence? Because in that specific fight, you had him up against the fence. Yeah, I, I, I use it both. Um, if you watch the last fight I had with uh, Antonio, um, when I hit him with my straight left, we were engaged um, jab hand to jab hand, and I threw it. So either either is fine. It just, it just helps me know where I, know where I am with my opponent a little bit more. So going into that Zacharich fight, I mean, obviously you'll take the win at all costs. You're a winner, but was the plan to knock him out? Because I know I, I'm going to guess that the plan wasn't to get a Kimura. That just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we thought it'd be a longer fight. Um, I had more success on my feet than I thought I would with him, and um, his takedown defense. He felt a little bit stronger physically than we first thought, but as soon as he hit the deck and I passed his guard, I almost just slipped into Kimura position, so it was, was awesome, and you're silly not to take any opportunity that pops up in this sport, because uh, you don't get that many, so it was, yeah, it was good, we, I expected to be a longer fight against Luke, and obviously there was a lot of pressure going in, it's the first fight in the UFC, I didn't do well in the house, so it was, was really good to get that victory that way. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of the house, things didn't go your way, but you know what, you know, I'll tell you something, man. It doesn't really matter that much because a guy like Frankie Edgar, he didn't even get the chance to compete in the house. They turned him down at the tryouts, and, you know, he goes on to win that belt, man. So, you know, and I was also talking to Jimmy Rivera last week on a Half the Battle. You know, he's a bantamweight contender, and he lost his first uh, on tough via TKO to Dennis Bermudez. Now he's a top 10 guy in the world. So, to me, I mean, you just take the the lesson and move forward. Is that what you did? Absolutely. Well, you look at me and Jake, both of us lost first first fight in the house. And if you look at the UFC records of the Tough Nations guys, Nordine, myself and Jake are all four and one. We have the best records at the moment. So, and we all lost first round in the house. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. Absolutely an interesting dynamic. And I mean, what exactly did you learn from your time on The Ultimate Fighter? That I miss my family a whole heap more than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I had to go in because I've travelled a lot with judo, but you know, having a wife and kids at home and being able to have no contact, no contact at all, probably played with my head a little bit more than I I thought it would. And and yeah, it was it was different, and it was that was the big things I learned from 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 the house. I mean, we came back home and just started training as normal, and I thought pretty soon after as soon as I could and everything's been really good since then yeah now correct me if I'm wrong uh the filming took place in Canada right yeah absolutely yeah in uh freezing cold Canada <laughs> so was that your first time fighting outside of Australia um in uh in MMA it was not in judo obviously in judo I've traveled around around the world heaps so it was first time in MMA and I fought once more in Denver since overseas all the rest have been in Australia Oh, yeah, and we're going to talk about that Denver fight in a sec because, I mean, dude, you know, like I mentioned, you're from Australia, so when you go to Denver, not only is the temperature completely different, but that altitude, I mean, it's, you know, night and day. So, firstly, before we talk about the fight, I mean, what was just that climate change like for you? Yeah, it was hard. We got out, <coughs> pardon me, we got out there two weeks early because I'd competed in judo in Colorado Springs before at the uh, Olympic Training Center, so I knew we'd have to get out there very early. Um... And yeah, we got out there two weeks before to uh, to make sure that you know that it wouldn't affect me that much. So yeah, it was a long flight. Luckily, I had a couple of uh, a training partner and my court, my uh, head coach over, and yeah, it was fine. I'm glad we did it that early because it ensured the win, even though it was an ugly fight. 
And I mean, what was worse, the weather or the altitude? Ah, uh, the altitude probably. The the altitude's always worse. So when you first get there, first session, we're doing a warm up, and you can see stars in the corners of your eyes. Your lungs are burning. You feel like you haven't trained for three years in the first first session, and then then it gets better from there. So you're in that fight with Patrick Walsh, and you know. Again, you're the underdog, and uh, he completely underestimated you. You know, his pre-fight talk, he was talking a little shit. And in the in the cage itself, he was being a little cocky. He was trying to smile and stuff like that, which, you know, this is a fight, man. But you end up winning, which was fucking awesome. And, uh, you know, after the second round, did you start to feel that altitude, or did you feel it from the start? Uh, I, felt it, I felt it from the start. I mean, the big thing with Denver is, uh, in some states in America, I tape my knees and ankles very heavily. And uh, I've got a cartilage injury in my knee, which is manageable with tape. And in Colorado, you're not allowed to use any uh, sports tape at all. And we found that out uh, the day of the wane. So I I didn't know that you weren't allowed to. I thought if you wear a neoprene sleeve over it, you can tape anything you like. And in the warm-up, my knee was sliding in and out. Now, taped, it's it's all held in place. And so that changed my my whole game plan completely. I planned on clinching up with, uh, with... Patrick Walsh and, and taking him down, but as it was, I in the corner at the back, I said to, I said I can't even I can't even grapple or wrestle. I'm I'm gonna have to try and win this just boxing, which was, which we saw the finished product of that. It wasn't that pleasant. <laughs> well, you got the win, and that's all that matters, man. And I mean, you mentioned how you know you do wear two knee braces and also an ankle brace. Now, is this due to you know just so your knees stay in place, or is it also to get a better grip when you're grappling? Uh, no, it's got nothing to do with uh, the grip. I'd love to not have to wear it. It's um, the the cartilage is split, so if I tape it, it uh, it just holds everything in place. It gives me a little bit more confidence, probably too. I mean, we've seen we've seen the last two fights. I've I've got no problems moving around or grappling with the knee taped. When the knee's not taped, it's uh, I, I, I've got I haven't got confidence in the stability of my knee, so it's quite annoying. But taped up, we can do whatever we like. So thank God I've been able to prove. Since then, that, that 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 that's the case. All right, so let's keep that knee tape then. <laughs> Absolutely, we've got to pick places where I'm allowed to use sports tape. For sure, man. And you know, this guy Sam Alvey, he called you out. He said he wanted to fight Dan Kelly. And I mean, listen, even though the fight didn't go your way, you stepped up to the plate, you accepted his challenge like a man, and you went out there and fought him. Now we know with uh with Sam Alvey, he's one of these guys that he's got that one hitter quitter. How hard is that left hand of his? Or I think it's his right hand actually. No, it's hard. It's very, very hard. And I was—I was, I made a mistake as well. I shouldn't kick southpaws, and I went to kick, and one foot was off the ground as he hit me, and it was even though my hands are up, he hits very, very hard. Sam does. He's—I mean, I've—I've I've never been hit that hard in a fight. So he's—he's uh, he's definitely got a lot of power. Yeah, he does. He's an interesting character because he'll circle around, not throw anything. He'll smile at you, and then he'll just throw a big bomb. Now, here's the thing, man. When he called you out. Did you contact the UFC and were like, hey, sign me up? Or did they contact you? They contacted me straight away and said, uh, after Denver, there was discussion about the knee and Joe Silver was saying, oh, you need to get it fixed. And I said, if I get it fixed, I'm out for 10 months and that's pretty much, that's too long to come back. So I said, if I can tape, I can fight. And yeah, then it all happened quite quickly. And yeah, it was a disappointing fight. I would have liked to have like for that fight to go longer obviously but you know that's life we learn and we carry on absolutely and what did you learn from that fight uh like i said not to kick southpaws i should have 
pushed into a clinch a little bit quicker with him. Um, but yeah, we definitely worked on, we've worked a lot since on head movement, on, um, on timing as well. Obviously I came to striking late, but he hits, he hits real hard. Sam does really, really hard. Yeah, man. And then, uh, you know what, your next two fights, you go on and win and you fight this guy, Steve Montgomery in Australia. And I mean, Steve's six foot four. Is this the tallest guy you've ever fought? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's real tall and, and very, he had very good striking, um, Steve did. Very, very good. Good timing, uh, tried to pick me apart, so it was good. What's it like dealing with a guy that tall? Because if you stay far away, you know, he'll use his jab, he'll use his teep. But if you close that distance, you know, chances are he can put you in a Muay Thai clinch and throw a big knee. Yeah, I felt a few of his knees. The first one he threw hurt me. Apart from that, it was okay because I wanted to be in a clinch as well. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the plan was always to put him on his back and, and try and submit him. I was close a few times, a little bit disappointed I didn't finish, but he, he's a tough guy. He's a real tough guy, Steve is. Yeah, and for you know young fighters or just martial artists, what would you recommend is the best way to clinch a taller opponent? Because I've heard that if you're fighting a bigger guy, it's better not to clinch them. Uh, no, no, I, I, because of my judo background, always getting an underhook or an overhook and pushing your hips close, that, that alleviates uh, their capacity to throw knees if your hips are close to theirs. But... Um, but yeah, he was really good at getting his hips back and firing in a knee. Or if I had just a, a collar grip on him, then he was firing away a lot with the knees. But once I got an underhook, I felt pretty pretty comfortable against him. Yeah, you looked pretty comfortable. I mean, was there a certain part in that fight where you felt, you know, maybe the fight starting to leave him and the momentum shifting in your side? Yeah, in that third round, uh, I was one round each probably. I won the first, he won the second. In that, uh, In the third round... He kept backing away, and I was like, as soon as I get, uh, every time I hit him, I knew he was getting a little bit uncomfortable. And as soon as I got the takedown, we think about a minute and a half, two minutes to go, I went, okay, I've, I've got this fight now. And unfortunately, I didn't finish at the end, but uh, it, was, it was a good finish to the fight. Definitely. And then obviously next up, we already talked about it. You took on shoe face. You did your thing. Now, normally I get to the fan questions at the end of the show, but man, there's a lot of fan questions for Dan Kelly. So let's get right into it, man. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the MMA genius wants to know: Do you think your age is a benefit in the fight game? Um, <laughs> I think my experience is. I don't know that my age is. Uh, it'd be nice to be a few years younger. I, only on paper, I, I still feel pretty good. But uh, the experience definitely does help in terms of being able to concentrate under pressure of a fight. That's for sure. And let me ask you this, just as a follow-up: You know, how old were you when you started your MMA career? And you know, how much of a difference was it in years compared to when you finished your judo career uh i i finished judo 2012 i can fought once in 2006 that was a bit of fun um and then i stopped and went back to judo so 2012 i finished judo and then that december i started fighting mma and went oh, i'm gonna have a, a proper push at this oh wow yeah i'm actually looking at your record right now yeah you did make your debut in 2006 and you didn't fight till 2012 now it says that your first win was via TKO thrown from ring. So you threw some dude out of the ring or what? No, no, it was, um, that was a weird promotion. It was on like a, uh, a raised blood sport platform. And, and one of the ways you could win was to throw them out, I think three or four times or something like that. So it was, yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird one. I had fought a guy who had like five or six fights at the time that I'd fought him. So, and I took that fight on two weeks notice. I was on the same card as uh, Hector Lombard fought on that card as well. Because we were training together at the time. And he's like, oh, you want to have a fight? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give it a whirl. 
And that, that's kind of how that one happened. Then I went straight back to judo. Yeah, that's hilarious, man. So, I mean, when you throw a guy out of the ring, I mean, is it with a judo throw? Is it with a teep kick? Is it with a straight left? I mean, how, how did it go down exactly? Uh, judo throws, all judo throws. I had uh, I had even less striking than I have now back then, so it was all judo throws. <laughs> now, is that on video? Because I'd love to see it, Dan. Um, yeah, it might be... It might be on YouTube. I'm not sure. God, I haven't, I haven't had a look at that fight for years. I had a DVD somewhere, but I think I might have lost it. I'm not, I'm not too sure. <laughs> Better to stay in the dark ages, maybe that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Sean Carey wants to know why do people keep underestimating you? I think it's because I look old and awkward when I'm striking. That's that's what I think. Everyone goes, oh, he's an old. He's 38 years old. He looks awkward when he strikes, and I think that's. And also the stigma around the uh, Patrick Walsh fight as well, I think, still lingers a little bit. Yeah, I mean, hey, like I said, you're a winner. You won that fight. But let me ask you this. You bring up your age. I mean, how much longer do you want to fight for? Uh, my original goal when I got into the UFC was to have 10 fights. I'm halfway there now. But with the way things are going and how I feel, it, I don't want to put a limit or a time on it. And for as long as uh, the UFC want me and, and my body holds up, I, I enjoy competing still. So I'll carry on for as long as I can. Yeah, and I mean, the fans are happy to hear that, man, because that last performance, I mean, that was a classic performance. That's the kind of performance that, you know, fans are like, this guy's a fucking badass. So, you know, th <laughs> th thank you for giving us that, man, and hopefully, you know, you give us many more victories like that in the future. Oh, uh, for sure. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't compete any other way. That's just, that's just how I am, unfortunately. Yeah. Stubborn. <laughs> that's funny man now uh, Mario Maraxi wants to know you mentioned you were taking time off to coach can you talk about that real quick yeah for sure I'm uh, the Olympic coach for uh, the Australian judo team so I'm I've, we've got our last qualifying event in uh, two weeks and then I'll be traveling quite a bit with the team uh, helping them prepare for Rio and then then I'll compete then I'll fight again hopefully at the end of the year now, uh, Benjamin Abrigo wants to know, and I think you just answered this question. He said, do you still train judo in the gi? Uh, I, I don't do much training myself, but I, I still coach high-level guys. I think I'm personal coach of three, three, maybe four people who qualify for Olympics, and we've got a, a big judo program at my gym. So when you're coaching these kids, I mean, are you not wearing the gi yourself, or what's the deal? Yeah, no, no, I wear the gear. It's just uh, I normally give orders and don't do so much myself. <laughs> Boss right there, right? Now, uh, Fred uh, Burdett wants to know, does being the underdog fire you up, Dan? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I enjoy being the underdog. It's, it, it gives my opponent everything to lose and me everything to gain. So I'm happy to be underdog anytime I fight. And as a gambling man, I hope you stay the underdog for the entirety of your career, my friend. <laughs> I heard the odds were really crazy uh, of me winning the fight uh, between rounds two and three in that fight. Some people were saying afterwards. So it would have been interesting to see what the odds got out to. I mean, I can tell you in a second. But uh, I'll just tell you this. The odds for you to win just period were like yep. pl plus 500. But, you know, if we're going to talk individual rounds, it was probably something crazy. But before I find that, uh, <laughs> at, at Yale UFC wants to know, who's been your toughest opponent so far? Uh Sam Alvey was really tough, only because he hit so hard. Um, outside of that, one of the first fights I had was my second fight against a Brazilian called Fabio Galeb. That was a really, really tough fight as well. I, I wasn't that experienced then. He was a lot heavier than me. That, that was a really, really hard fight. Yeah, and looking at your record, I see that Fabio Galeb, he was the only 
fighter that took you the distance, you know, before you made it to the UFC. So it must have been tough, huh? Yeah, it was a really hard fight. Really, really hard. Yeah, man. So, okay. So I got the odds pulled up. So you closed plus 385. You know, that's a little better than what you opened at. And we're talking about the actual round props. Let's see. So uh, Kelly wins in round uh, three. Holy shit, dude. Plus 2675. So if you put down $100 on you to win that fight in round three, you would have won uh, 2675 bucks. That's decent money. Yeah, and that's only for a hundred bucks, man. So you know, if you put two hundred, you uh, you times uh, that number by two. So, dude, yeah, shit's crazy, bro. <laughs> Props to you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, uh, one more question from the fans, and this one's really funny. Brad Tashuk, he wants to know. He says, "Discuss the power of two first names because your name's Dan Kelly." <laughs> I've got, I've got no idea. Um. Is it, is, it, is it a thing, is it, to have two two first names as your names? I've got no idea. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because I, I think he, um, he he made some references with some other fighters that have uh, two first names, and they've been winning too. So, hey, you know, just just keep winning, man. It, it's your thing, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, we're, that's not really big down here, like to have uh, comments about two first names. But, yeah, no, it's good, really good. Well, it's not really big in the United States either. He's from Canada, just a little disclaimer. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you, man, because obviously, you know, in a way you are a pioneer for Australian MMA and, you know, there's guys like you, guys like Mark Hunt, but then there's the guys coming up like Robert Whitaker, and I know he's in your weight class, but still, man, he's, you know, he's the, the future. He's very young. What do you think about a guy like Robert Whitaker? Because for me, I think he could be a future champion. No, I agree. He's awesome. Him and Jake are definitely the front runners to be know the first champions from Australia and Rob's doing really well his next fight's a bit of a test because Natal is very well rounded and very durable so that that'll be a good test he gets through that one I think Rob should be pushing for a top five opponent to be honest yeah and I mean as far as my prediction is concerned I think he does get past Natal because I think he's taking the fight very seriously you know oh absolutely I agree he'll uh he'll be too fast for Natal Natal's only chance is to grind out a decision and I think Rob can finish him in any any round, any round he wants. Definitely, and Rob's really uh, underrated on the ground too. You know, I watched some of his past fights when he was cutting too much weight and he was still grappling with D1 wrestlers. So now, you know, he's fully fed, he's fully hydrated. I, I think we can expect some great things from him, man. Absolutely, I agree. Now he's 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 really good, really really good, and he's uh, he's a humble, nice guy too, which is which is good. That's good. That means he's a hard worker. And about your boy, uh, Jake Matthews, you know, he obviously fought my good friend, James Vick, and there's no uh, shame in losing to James Vick. And, you know, I'm really biased because Vick is like a good friend of mine. He's co-hosted this show many times, but, you know, I, I like Jake Matthews too. He's a badass, man. What do you think, uh, you know, what's the ceiling on this kid? How, how long till he starts uh, fighting some top 10 guys? No ceiling. I, I hope they, um, I hope they, work him along slowly, and in about two or three fights, he gets a, a top 10 guy. He's only 21, but the sky's the limit for him. Jake is so tough, so, so tough. The kid, the kid's mature ahead of his years in being able to deal with adversity in the cage. You saw him against um, Akbar Areola, where he was hurting that uh, first round, and he still managed to get on top by the end of the round and finish him in the second. And against Johnny Case, who's a lot more experienced than him, he, he just showed a a great deal of maturity, and he's also got weapons everywhere. His takedowns are good, his striking's good, his jiu-jitsu's really good, so the sky's the limit for Jake, it really is. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned how, you know, you're about to do a little coaching for the Olympic team. But what's next for Dan Kelly inside the UFC's octagon? Uh, I'm hoping hoping to fight in November. There's there's rumors and rumblings that there'll be another show in Australia at the end of the year. I hope to jump on that. And then next year, I want to I want to fight as much as I can. I mean, we haven't I don't like to keep saying I'm old, but I, I want to push this as far as I can and, and see where I can get to. Now, is there anyone specific you want to fight? I know you're a respectful guy, but there's got to be someone you want to fight, right, Dan? Um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's not. I want to wait a couple of weeks and have a look at the, the rankings and see where they fall. I mean, I think you know, on a couple of ranking outlets, I'm uh, inside the top 30 on one, about 40 in another one. And I, I want to push to fight a guy who's inside the top 30, especially in the UFC, and then just keep working my way up that way. And, and sorry, top 20. Top twenty, like MMA rankings, they normally do do one that's just UFC fighters. I want to I want to push someone inside the top twenty and then see where it goes from there. Now, my f- be ranked before I before I retire. Put it that way. For sure. Now, I mean, obviously you'd accept any fight, but for old times' sake, how fun would a fight between you and Dan Hendo be? Oh, it'd be awesome, Olympian against Olympian. I just have to watch out for his right hand. He's got a bit of pepper in that one too. But ah, oh, Dan Henderson, I. Watched him, you know, since the Pride days. I, I, I love that guy. That'd be, uh, that'd be awesome if they gave me him at one day. That'd be really good. Yeah, Dan versus Dan, Olympian versus Olympian. <laughs> I mean, that'd be one hell of a matchup, man. Especially now, you know, I, I just think, uh, I, I hope they make that fight at some point, man. <laughs> nah, thank you. Me too. That'd be great. That's, uh, that's, that's, six, that's six Olympics in one uh, octagon. That'd be uh, some kind of record as well, for sure. <laughs> well, so... Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that, but it's so true, my friend. So uh, before we get out of here, can you give me a couple fight predictions? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Which one? So UFC 197, Johnny Bones Jones. He's trying to get his belt back from Daniel Cormier. I'm picking John Jones. I want to know who you got in this fight. Yeah, I think John Jones as well. He's just, he's too good. He's too good. He's, uh, he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world by far. He's uh, wrestling's good. Striking's good. He's, he's ruthless. I, I I like Cormier, but I can't see him beating John Jones. And do you think John Jones is going to finish the fight? I think he'll finish the fight this time, yeah. I do as well. So we'll see what happens, man. I mean, obviously DC is tough, but John Jones, like you said, he's the best pound-for-pound fighter on planet Earth. So we'll see if he goes out there and does his thing, man, because it would be amazing to come back from everything he's been through and to win that belt again. That would be, that'd be almost, I wouldn't say a Cinderella story because he never officially lost his belt in a fight, but it would just be a feel-good story to overcome that kind of adversity. Yeah, absolutely. He'd, uh, yeah, he's the best, and he hasn't stopped training. I mean, we're friends with Kyle Noak, and when Kyle was back there, he was saying he's training the whole time. So, yeah, he, he'll, he'll, he'll win that belt, and he'll finish DC this time, I think. And, uh, you know, quick note about your buddy Kyle Noak. I mean, how hard is that guy's front kick? Oh, my God. Oh yeah, yeah. He his stand up's ridiculously smooth. It's like he floats along along the ground when he's training and stuff and he's so elusive. He's uh he's really good. Kyle Kyle once he gets a bit of consistency he's gonna be like he's he's incredibly talented, that guy, incredibly talented. I know you were fighting the same night as him, but were, did you uh see when he kicked that guy in the body with the front kick? Oh absolutely. I'd be I was finished by then. I'd already fought and won, so we watched that and the crack you hear when he kicked him was ridiculous. Yeah, no, nah, Kyle's Kyle's good. And he's, yeah, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine as well now, so it's awesome. Yeah, that was unbelievable. So Demetrius Johnson, he's putting his belt on the line against the, the gold medalist USA Wrestling Olympian, 
Henry Cejudo. And, you know, a lot of times with DJ, he's kind of got this aura about him, kind of like Anderson used to have. Guys go in there, and they kind of stare at him. They're kind of broken before the fight starts. With Henry Cejudo, man, as you know, Olympians are very mentally strong, and I don't think he's going to be broken before the fight happens. You know, I think he could potentially rise to the occasion. The question is, will he rise to the occasion? I think... I think uh... I think Mighty Mouse will win again. I, I don't. I can't see anyone at flyweight beating him. I don't think the Hudo's boxing is good enough yet to hurt him. I think DC will. Oh, sorry, uh, Mighty Mouse will pick him apart. I mean, it'll be a five-round fight. I don't think either guy will finish the other, but I think uh, I think Mighty Mouse will win a decision. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the big upset here. Everyone's counting him out. I'm gonna go with Sahuda. So we'll have to see what happens, man. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I wouldn't mind to see him win because it, it mixes up the division a little bit and, and it'll probably be good for the division. But yeah, Mighty Mouse is really, really good. And and he just he's there's no there's no holes in his game. That's that's the thing. Yeah, it's absolutely true, man. He's an incredible fighter. Now, last prediction before we get out of here, Dan. Tony Elkukui Ferguson is fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov. Obviously, Khabib's 20 and 0. One doesn't simply go 20 and 0, but he's coming off two ACL surgeries two years off, and in that time, Tony Ferguson, you know, he's got four performance of the night bonuses, he's been getting better every single fight, he's finishing guys that don't often get finished, who do you think is going to win this fight, Dan? I think Tony Ferguson will win the fight, and I think he'll, he'll submit him, he'll submit him with, uh, with his, with his Dash choke, that's, that's what I think will happen, I think uh, Habib will get tired, and Ferguson will cause some damage, and probably sprawl on a takedown, and and Darcy, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I actually got Tony Ferguson as well. People are telling me I'm crazy for that pick, but listen, man, you know, two years off with two ACL surgeries is no joke, especially when your style is to chain all those takedowns together. So, you know, you think it's going to be, you know, second or third round. You know, I, I think the first round, uh, Khabib's going to take him down a couple times, but, you know, as he starts to gas out a little bit, Tony's still going to be in his face, man. Yeah, I agree. I reckon it'll be a second or third round finish, but I think, yeah, I think you'll finish him. I, I agree with you completely. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now, on Half the Battle. Just let the audience know where they can follow you on Twitter and what's coming up next. Uh, so, I'll hopefully, I'll fight at the end of the year. Twitter is uh, Dan Kelly Judo. Instagram's Daniel Kelly Judo. So, uh, give me a follow, guys, and thank you very much for the support. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. And for all the fans watching, thank you so much. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, at MMA Thought. Go to bestfightpicks.com. And if you want to subscribe to the Half the Battle podcast, just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube and type in Half the Battle. So until the next time, enjoy the fights.